Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rozeal. This is the show where we get to talk about sports, we get to talk about business, and we get to talk about everything in between. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, you know exactly what to do. Five-star review on Spotify. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Five-star review on Apple. And say some really nice things about me and my incredible guest in the review. I have Daniel Taran on. He's the co-founder of Scrimmage. Dan, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well, my friend. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure is all mine. Isn't it funny how I tell you I'm going to do all these things, and then immediately as I click record, I forget all the things that I'm going to do. So maybe we leave <laughs> it in. I'll, I'll review it. If it was funny enough, I'll leave it in. But more excited to chit-chat with you today, Dan, about what you do, not about the stupid things that I do, uh, because what you do is really cool. We've had a working relationship now for a few years, and I assume that will that will continue uh, once I get everything situated in my new, my new spot. But uh, very excited to get to learn a little bit more about your company and really explain to people you allow you to explain to people a little bit more about your company scrimmage but before we do any of that dan first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much yeah i thought about this before coming on um and it actually made me think about it i guess a little deeper so i think on the playing side on participating in sports i think it's all about competition i think that's a pretty common answer uh and the the reason is like no matter what you're playing if it's Football, basketball, the major sports, or it's esports. I play a lot of Halo for the Halo fans out there. Yeah. It's all it, it all comes back to the competition aspect of it. That's why you know you play spike ball on the beach, whatever it is. If a game happens, people start to enjoy it because it's competitive. And then on the viewership side, I think it's because it's unscripted. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Seeing people compete at you know, the highest level, whatever level that is, and and uh, you don't know what's going to happen. I think that's what draws people to it. Um, and then there's a lot of innovators, right? There's so many people in the space making cool ways to consume content, more sports, more sports leagues, and uh, it just never gets old because you never know what's next. So I mm-hmm. think there's two different angles to it, but they're both, uh, they're both very enjoyable. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. Right, we all love a little bit of competition in our life. If you don't, hey, that's up to you. But you're really missing out because uh, competing <laughs> at anything at some point. If you win, is is pretty awesome. If you lose, you know some people take it a little better than others. Me not included. But if you win, it is so sweet in certain situations. And as you said, the unscripted nature of it, not knowing what's coming up, not knowing what's going to happen, I think is pretty important for people to understand that it's the best reality TV show we have. And I get to watch. I mean, I've been watching on ESPN Plus these last couple days, like the Sun Belt NCAA Conference (laughs) Tournament. Like these teams, I have no idea who they are. Any of these players. But it's, it's it's championship season, like in basketball, and these teams are nine and fourteen going up a team that's eight and and fifteen, right? But they're playing their hearts out because this might be the last game they ever play. And I watched three overtime basketball games last night. Like, is there anything else you can want from a Wednesday night than three overtime basketball games, Dan? I don't think it's so. Too good. It's just too good. It never gets old. It never gets old, man. And then, as you said, the innovators in the space. That's why I started the show. Yeah. One of the reasons I started the show. I want to talk to people who are doing cool stuff. Like, I always thought you'd sell tickets to get into sports. Turns out, don't sell tickets. Like, no offense, or, you know, keep doing what you do if you do sell tickets. But there are so many cool people doing so many cool things in the space, and, and yourself included. And how you get there is the interesting part, right? We'll touch on that in a second. But there's just so much cool shit going on. Like, go go touch some grass, get outside, see what's going on, talk to some people, network, and find out ways to break into the space. I always think it's important. So let's actually start there with your story a little bit. So I noticed you worked sure. at Bank of America for a couple of years, went to Penn State, uh, went worked at Bank of America for a little while, and then eventually left Bank of America and co-founded a company. Kudos and congratulations. Usually doesn't ha- that. that doesn't happen after two years working at Bank of America, but the idea was there, and I think that part's important. 
I don't care what you did at Bank of America. I will just go on record as saying that's probably the worst bank that's ever existed in the history of <laughs> banks from just my personal experience with them. What was it like and, and where did the idea come from to say, you know what, I have this career, probably can make a bunch of money, could probably be very comfortable. But instead of doing that, why don't I go do the thing that I actually want to do and work in sports and get into sports betting? Talk to me about that conversation that you have with yourself and maybe loved ones and family members. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely an interesting time in my life. I would say a lot of it came from misconceptions about what I was actually going to be doing at Bank of America, uh, not to belabor the boring investment banking jobs, but I've always liked risk and I've always liked upside. I think I get bored fast. And something that's always interested me is the idea, at least the perception of unlimited upside. And when you get into like stocks, bonds, credit, distressed credit, you think like, man, if I just buy this one thing low and it goes high, like that's so exciting, unlimited upside. And I think that's what I was always drawn to. And I just picked the wrong career path and became pretty clear to me that that really comes from being an entrepreneur. If you like risk and you feel like you could tolerate it, um, you know, then it's all about execution of an idea. And everyone has good ideas, at least in my opinion. That, you know, some people have multiple good ideas every day, but a lot of it just comes down to risk tolerance. And once I was cool with doing that, um, the, the transition over became pretty much uh, a done deal. I love it, man. Yeah, I everybody has a million dollar idea. I totally agree with you. I agree. It, yeah. it comes down to execution, though. How many people are actually going to and, you know, it's probably 99% of people don't even take the first step. Exactly. Right? Like, that's the, I'm not going to say the saddest part, because teach his own, but, like, if you have this awesome idea and you just think about it and think about it and don't do even a single thing, that's probably 99% of people. And then the other 99% of that 1% probably don't even make it to, you know, the stage that you made it or the ideation or the actual putting together the business. That's where almost all good ideas die, unfortunately, is just the... Oh the the pontificating the wishing the wondering stage which i don't know man just like you want to do something just at least just one just one thing five minutes ten minutes just a small amount of your day just slowly get to the point where you can say holy crap this is an idea so uh good for you um glad are you do you want to say anything bad about bank of america i I don't know maybe you know like i don't want you to put you on the spot but just throw it out there that is fun it is funny you mentioned so i was on the investment bank investment bank side and one funny part is I never actually moved my money from Wells Fargo over. I just Yikes. didn't. And maybe that's a, a shot at Bank of America or it's a shot at part of my laziness, I guess. But uh, I never did, which is I pretty, think you knew. Which is pretty I, interesting thinking about it. I never did. <laughs> I think you knew it wasn't worth your time. Uh, yeah, even uh, even though you right. work there, uh, that extra point zero zero one percent in your uh, credit credit account probably wasn't going to do too much. Didn't so, want to figure that out. Good for you, man. Uh, so as you said, like you wanted that risk, you wanted the opportunity to have the unlimited upside. Um, you wanted to see what could come from it. How just so that part is nice. Wanting to be an entrepreneur is nice. Pretty much, you ask anybody. I'd say nine out of ten people would be like, "Yeah, I'd love to work for myself and make a bunch of money." awesome yeah what are you gonna do though where where does the idea of scrimmage come from and and were there multiple ideas on the table and this was the best one how were you able to come up with this and actually say okay i'm done with my bank of america job let me go do this full time i think an accident um so what first happened actually was my partner matt and i were thinking you know there's a lot of inefficiency in sports betting just the idea that there's a hold on the sports book side means basically by definition that there's an inefficient market and we were like, well, what if we could beat it? Wouldn't that be fun? So, Explain the, to people what hold is in case they're not familiar. Yeah, so the sports book uh, charges you for placing a bet. Uh, you know, and those holds are different. And you'll see you know, parlays have higher holds or futures bet have higher holds. It's basically just 
the cost to place a bet. And if you go back to way back in finance times, uh, Wall Street times, 1960, 70, whatever, there was a commission to buy and trade Apple stock, and that's gone away. Uh, and uh, some people would argue that the markets are, are fairly efficient. But in sports betting, I don't think anyone could really argue that. Uh, they're efficient to some extent. They're hard to beat. But the idea that there's a hold in general pretty much means that they're inefficient. And we thought, well, what if we were smart, smart enough to exploit it? So the original scrimmage was actually not even called scrimmage. It was a sports betting hedge fund. So we set up a private fund in Gibraltar, of all places. I've never been. heard it's very nice. Here it's beautiful. Uh, here it's beautiful. It looks beautiful in pictures. So we set up a fund there, and it was a sports betting hedge fund. So if people aren't familiar with hedge funds, instead of stocks and bonds as our investment vehicle, we traded on sports. We, we placed bets, hundreds a day, actually, uh, about 150 on average at, at the peak of it. And um, it was hard. It was hard to place the bets. It was hard to get the action on. It was hard to move money around from sports books. It was difficult to find sports books that wanted to take our action. It was hard to find banks to hold our money there. We could, we could do five podcasts on just the difficulties of trying to run a sports betting hedge fund. But we built a bunch of tech to be able to do the infrastructure of it. And that's what eventually became scrimmage. We thought, look, scaling up this for, for us as investors would be difficult. And then our first idea was to make uh, sports betting a financial decision. And uh, I'm happy to dive into our learnings from that as well. But that was actually the original scrimmage was taking this hedge fund, <clears throat> excuse me, hedge fund technology and making it a consumer app. Yeah, please dive into that. That is extremely interesting. Um, the, the fact that you're able to kind of think about it. I mean, one thing that, you know, me being in the space, obviously, and, and listening to content and enjoying placing bets on sports, right? One thing that always comes up is kind of your portfolio. Some people, you know, the people that are doing this professionally or at least yeah. talk about it in a professional manner always say like, you know, if you're getting into to futures, make sure you have a nice portfolio, right? Some teams are going to be lower at the beginning of the year, higher at the end of the year. So you're going to want to make sure you get them at quote unquote, the right time and understanding if you have a nice marketing mix, right? You have a nice mix of opportunities, no matter what, there's an opportunity for you to make money, whether that's hedging down the road or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I always think that that's very interesting when finance people get into sports betting, because it usually then just comes down to math, it comes down to math, it comes down to modeling, and it comes down to understanding where all your money is going and how it's breaking down. So please, yeah, explain a little bit more about how you guys were able to develop that. And it sounds like, unfortunately, it wasn't, you know, quote unquote, your guy's fault that this didn't, you know, totally take off. It sounds like just so many outside extenuating circumstances made it so difficult that it wasn't even worth it. Yeah. So a lot to, there, there's definitely a lot we could unpack to it, but yeah, the idea was basically that we thought if we bet a low percent of our portfolio across a bunch of bets that we could lower our variance, basically our risk by spreading it out so that one-off events didn't affect us, right? And and the main idea of that is, uh, let's say we bet on the Yankees and the pitcher gets hurt, right? It's like, oh man, your bet's probably going to lose. Uh, you lose a bunch of money. So if, if you only bet once in a day, boom, you lost all your money. But what if you bet 150 times? Well, then that risk gets spread out each day where on one side, your pitcher will get hurt, but in the next game, the other pitcher will get hurt and that one-off risk will even out. And when that was like right before COVID and everyone's stocks are going up, 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 and then boom, uh, an event that no one could have expected plummet stocks and that one-off risk hurt everybody. And our pitch to investors was that, you know, we're completely uncorrelated to the stock market. And um, yeah, we were able to get some money that way and place a ton of these bets. And uh, the United States government 
is not a fan of this, which is why we had to be in Gibraltar. Uh, banks do not want to hold money moving in and out of sports books, especially ones that maybe are licensed in, in different countries. And investors think you're weird, especially when you're 20-something and asking them for money to go gamble it. Uh, definitely an uphill battle from there. Uh, so there was a bunch of different things that, that made it difficult, but all in all, our returns were good. And we knew that it is possible to win at sports betting. And if you want to make it a career, you can. It's just very difficult. However, on the consumer side, my opinion, uh, to be honest, has changed. And I, I heard a few different people uh, on your podcast say that they think you know, sports betting as a financial decision makes sense. And I, I'm somewhere in the middle at this point. If, if, if you want to make the effort to be a professional sports better, it takes all of your time and uh, the margins are very low. And as you know, working at, at some sports books, they may not want you to bet there very long. And that becomes very, very difficult for users. And so many startups with really talented people really focus on that pre-bet process to make sports bettors really, really good while simultaneously being affiliates with those sports books. And they, only, you know, you get, they need you to lose. And it becomes a really weird conflict of interest that, that makes it difficult for both of them to win long term. And I think that's a problem that we're running into in the U.S. market. Um, so I know there's a lot to unpack there. I kind of went two different ways with it. But, um, you know, uh, strong opinions loosely held, as they say, type deal. I like that. Yeah, that's pretty good. No, I, I think that the opportunity and, yeah, asking people to give you money to gamble it dude the balls <laughs> that must have taken so just kudos on just asking for it right like hey they say no they say no big deal but the fact that you guys were actually able to get some people's money that's awesome good we, for you guys we bought a list of investors at other hedge funds and we cold called them that's thousands awesome. of them thousands and how just, much uh i mean i'll ask later but how much money do you guys get like i'm curious about that we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll get you off off the record we'll do well, that one but for, for the um, listeners not as much as you might have hoped but some I mean, <laughs> yeah any money literally any money yeah. that someone would have given you um with that as you said you kind of you you mitigate your risk a little bit by spreading out this money over mm-hmm. however many bets over you know every single day right the one thing about sportsbooks and thank you for again prior to explaining how the hold works again mm-hmm. i work at one of these sports books but it's always nice to kind of hear i want you to explain everything this is not my show this is your show the one thing about that is an even line quote unquote is minus 110 and minus 110 which means to bet minus 110 means you have to bet 110 dollars to win a hundred mm-hmm. an even line is not plus 100 plus 100 because that means if the sports book gets 50 percent on both sides they make zero dollars if they get 50 percent on both sides of a minus 110 minus 110 line if i'm not mistaken they win about four and a half percent that's the hold right give or take take. so you have to win 55 percent of your bets in a given day just to make any money essentially so of those 150 how like i understand you're mitigating risk on a one-off event Mm. but were you able to it sounds like it but winning at a 55 percent clip is difficult to say the least uh, to actually make real money you're trying to hit like that 57 58 how difficult as you said like how difficult was it on a daily basis to crunch the numbers and figure out like okay this makes sense this doesn't there's only so many games on in a day i understand you know your worldwide is one thing but how difficult was it to really crunch those numbers to the point where it actually made sense sure yeah it's a great question i think the answer is twofold first our our return on investment per bet uh, so essentially the amount of money we would make per bet in percentage terms was about 0.9%. Uh, so less than 1% per bet was what we were making uh, long term. And the math there is how many times can you get through your portfolio 
and multiply that through so that that 0.9 becomes exponential. So you have to get through your portfolio a lot. And therein lies to me the, the actual the biggest issue, which is you may find some value in some bets on some very niche things. But if you want to be an NFL line where you know there's hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars being bet, or a Power 5 soccer league, you're, you're, it's going to be very tough. So beating esports is possible, but maybe the sportsbook will only take a $500 bet. So you run into a ton of different difficulties there. So we had to spread across multiple different sports books um, and try to find ones that have more of a sharp, quote unquote, business model, which effectively means they believe in their lines enough where they'll take more action. And their hope is there's so much action being placed, even if they have a smaller hold, that it ends up being net more money. There's some famous ones, Pinnacle, Bookmaker, Bet Online, um, and Circa in the U.S. has definitely started to take that model. Uh, but the United States, that's not a very common model. And uh, because of that, that's why we had to take it offshore. So uh, a lot of difficulties there with, you know, potentially moving markets and just getting enough money down. So um, a tough infrastructure challenge more than anything. And it's still hard to have winning bets. So you like put that all together. Yeah. And I mean, we had a couple of us doing it and uh, we had to automate some of the trading, but couldn't get API access everywhere. So we were manually, manually placing these bets across multiple sports books. It was a seven day a week, you know, full-time job. Uh, very, very difficult. That's the other thing about becoming a quote unquote professional sports better. Like you, you have to, because you need to place so many bets and get so many dollars down. You're not just, Oh, let me check the games today. Oh, cool. I'll put, put a couple bets in like, no, like, you're figuring out all the lines, everything, everywhere. Yep. Find where you can get that 1% where you believe you can get it and then placing that. And, hey, would you look at that? Here's the next day. And you got to stay up till 11 o'clock at night because the West Coast Conference is about to tip off, right? So oh, yeah. it gets absolutely ridiculous. So I completely understand. It's unfortunate. It sounds like a really cool business. And hopefully maybe one day down the road it becomes a little easier and you guys can revisit it. <laughs> so you have so. all this. As you said, you kind of built all this technology and infrastructure around that. How were you then able to kind of sit down and say, well, how can we utilize this in a different way to allow us to still stay within the industry, still stay within the space of sports betting, but package it differently so that other people can use it and we can actually make money through that process as well. Definitely. Uh, so being naive, I think. Uh, so what happened was we were like, well, we built odds comparison. I mean, we there were tons of odd compar- comparison websites already and we just didn't look for them. We built that ourselves by scraping. We built a bet tracker. We didn't realize that there was a bunch of people building a bet tracker. We built the ability to basically send you when lines change in your favor. So say it goes from minus 115, so you know you have to bet 115 to win 110, to minus 110, you have to bet 110 to win 100. That's a better, you know, better odds for you. So we built that where it would send us a notification. And we didn't look to see if anyone built it. And we packaged all that together and we were like, let's bring it to people. And uh, lucky enough for us, even though there was a lot of competition in that area, we were able to get into the uh, Techstar Sports Accelerator in Indianapolis. And uh, that opened our eyes to like, oh, wait, like, there is a lot of competition. And uh, maybe this isn't the best business model. So that's actually when the pivot started. And I'm happy to describe that. But the financial tool for sports bettors, you have a ton of options. Uh, there's a lot of great companies out there trying to solve that. I'm very interested to see how they monetize and, and how they take these large user bases and turn it into like a, a real business. Um, but, you know, Picket, Action Network, Betstamp, a bunch of great companies doing that. Um, but we knew that uh, that wasn't where our value lies. And that's when the change started. And that and that makes sense. Um, 
no one Googled this? You guys have a hedge fund of sports <sighs> betting. Just... You're placing thousands and thousands, potentially millions of dollars worth of bets and not like yeah. a simple uh, Google search sports betting odd comparison. That's exactly right. I mean, you said in the beginning, uh, you know, you do a couple stupid things to start the show. I do stupid things every day. Well, and we did a really stupid thing there. Just didn't look around. Didn't it, look around. It, it works out, though, right? Like, the story still has a pretty cool, you know, we're not nearly at the ending, but right. the story has a, has, a, has a fun, you know, change of pace and, and pivot, as you said. So, it, worse things. As long as you can handle risk, you'll figure it out. Exactly. Or maybe you won't, but you won't be that sad about it. So you just yeah. keep going. You just keep, you just on keep going. plugging on. Worst case scenario, you go get a cubicle job back at Bank of America and worst keep case. money in Wells Fargo. Like, what's the <laughs> worst thing? What's like the that, worst right? thing they're gonna We're not going to get there for a while, so I'm not too worried about it. So you guys build out this odds comparison. So I guess, how did you even make it into Techstars if there was already a bunch of competition, already a bunch of you know quote unquote incumbents in the in the space that they were even like, yeah, no, you you guys can come and show us what you're doing. I think those guys do an incredibly good job of choosing people that they like and want to put you know, some capital and reputation behind rather than the baseline idea that comes in there. I mean, I, mean, I think that's the beautiful part about accelerator programs, whether it's Techstars or YC or 500 Startups. There's a bunch of different options, but as long as they keep the investment strategy of, look, these are pre-seed companies, so they're not going to have it all figured out. Let's just find the people that are in the right space trying to figure out the right problems and, you know, have good intentions, you know, that's a good investment strategy. Um, And it's worked out really well for them. So I think they might have stripped out some of the silly things about the original business we had and just said, you know, I'm speaking for them. But I think, uh, you know, they were like, hey, maybe these guys will figure it out. So uh, kudos to them. Very thankful. Otherwise, I, you know, probably wouldn't be here. Yeah, no, I love it. You wouldn't be, you know, highlighting your career right now on the For the Love of Sports (laughs) podcast. Uh, At what point in our relationship did we connect yeah that was so i am a uh always trying to get out ahead of potential issues so we did the licensing process way before we even had a product in market and then we did the try to get affiliate partnerships way before we even had so i was just cold emailing reaching out trying to figure out you know what this business model could be who says yes who do you need to know about these different things so it was before the first iteration of Scrimmage ever came out and, and certainly before Techstars ever existed. Um, and then, you know, slowly changed from there. I love it, man. Well, hey, you did the right thing because, again, brought us together, which I think <laughs> is pretty darn cool. So exactly. you have this idea. It unfortunately is, you guys realize, uh, other people have this idea, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean, as you, you, you listed off three, Betstamp, Picket, Action Network, three very credible, very, very, in my opinion, successful businesses. Definitely. What what like why didn't you guys think well ours is the best like we brought we built this bottom up like why can't we play in this space like not everyone's gonna love Betstamp or Action mm-hmm. Network they might like your product a little bit better why why was there no pushback from you guys saying like I don't know ours is kick ass like why don't we see if we can be the best in the space I think it's twofold I think it's one we thought we had a better idea um, so that always helps to be like look we think there's an alternative and two you know I think um, there's an interesting conflict of interest I kind of described before with Mm -hmm. models that are totally based on affiliate revenue. And it's, it's basically what we said before, which is if your business model is to bring them new customers while simultaneously helping them be better betters, it it doesn't actually work in the long run because it is a zero sum game betting. Um, So it's tough to charge people for the pre bet process and then also charge people for the affiliate process and work with the sportsbooks. And 
that is a tough, scalable feature. And I still think you can make great businesses. There's been incredible affiliate companies. I mean, Action Network in a lot of ways was an affiliate company. They sold for $250 million, I think. So, hey. Not that bad. Not that bad. Uh, but, you know, there's a... Uh, there's an interesting kind of dynamic there that we thought maybe didn't make the most sense anymore. Interesting. And then, so what was that other better idea that you guys had? Absolutely. And one thing that we realized is the financial decision of betting is a very tough one. Um, the hold makes it really hard and not to get like too technical, but if I got, if I got $10 and someone said to me, make a good financial decision, it's very difficult to make the argument for sports betting. And the reason is pretty simple. Your expected value is negative. If I place a bet at a sports book and I win 50% of the time, just by dart throw, I'm going to lose about you know 4.5% if that's what the hold is over time. And you keep compounding that. If I put it in a stock, depending on which time period you go on, it'll go up about, I don't know, people will argue this if they get real technical, but 4 to 10% a year, depending on your, on your time frame, right? Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. Put, your, put your money in Johnson & Johnson. Shout out... I think it's Demodoran Equity Risk Premiums from my banking days. Forget that. Cut it shout out. out. Uh, shout out. I think I pronounced it right. I hope it is. Um, so it's a tough financial decision, and everyone focuses on that pre-bet process and, and, and charging people more money to, to place bets in the beginning. And what we realize is interesting is there's very few people focusing on the retention after the bet, right? It's, it's like everyone really wants to focus on getting you the best bet and selling you the best data. And then even live betting, they want you to be you know interested in the live betting, but why doesn't the sports betting community really care about something like a rewards program? And we realized that with the syncing technology from, you know, shout out the guys at Sharp Sports and all the different things that are going on with integrated sports books, why can't you have a kind of universal rewards program for sports bettors that works for both the operator and the better? And what I mean by that is a rewards program means you get rewards back on your bets and we could get into you know, how we do that. But that's cash back for the better. That has nothing to do with how good they are as a better, right? You're getting cash back. It makes it a bit more sustainable, gets you a higher chance of breaking even. And for the operators, everyone worries about acquisition, but eventually every state becomes legal and the United States population can only grow so much and you run out of betters. You need to retain the betters you have. And there are so many operators popping up. How do you keep your betters? You retain them. And I don't know about you, but the, the, the product at DraftKings versus FanDuel versus Caesars, it is different, right? It is a bit different. The lines are different. The UI is different. But to the average consumer, how different really is the product? It's not that different. Dude, it's colors. It's colors, right? It's colors. So in a lot of I ways, I worked at colors. a couple of these places. Like, I love this industry. I'm on the user acquisition side. If you uh, don't have anything special, it's just colors. Just colors, right? So in a lot of ways, it's just colors. So why do people focus more on the acquisition, or sorry, not on the acquisition, on the retention side? And that's really where Scrimmage as a rewards program was, was born. And the way that it works from a, from a user's perspective, first off, is a user comes on, they get a cool character that kind of fits their betting parameters. So how much do you like to bet? Uh, and you get bucketed into that. Then you sync your sportsbook accounts with us. And what that basically means is we know how much you bet and if you won or lost and who you bet on and when that bet settled. And based on that, we reward you our internal token uh, called the Scrib token, which you can use to either reinvest back in the game to make your experience better, or you can redeem it for cash or prizes. And that's the basis of it. So from the sports bettors perspective, I'm still placing my bets on, on my favorite sports book. No change to my betting habits. But at the end, I get some tokens back that either gets me money back or I enjoy the game, I can reinvest it. And from the operator side, 
it's uh, it's a retention tool. Uh, and we have some really cool data behind that that I'm happy to share, but it's a retention tool for them to keep their customers if they are integrated with us. So I completely agree. Um, eventually, this will all be a retention game. There will still be need for me, people like me, Absolutely. on the acquisition side because there's always new people. There's always ways to acquire, and some people just take a little longer than others. That's just how this goes. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're running down to the end of the States. Now, I feel like even with the States we have, acquisition is still the name of the game for oh, yeah. a significant period of time. We're talking five to ten years. Definitely. Right? Once Texas, California, Florida – Florida figures its shit out. We'll see what happens there. <laughs> but Texas, California, the Carolinas. Ah, after that, like, how many really big states do we have left? Honestly, right? Like, there's not too too many left. So the opportunity is becoming less and less in terms of the massive states that are launching. I.e., New York, Ohio. We just saw recently, right? Um, so the opportunity is becoming less and less on the acquisition side. It's still extremely important. There's still a lot of opportunities. Definitely. There's still going to be. But I totally agree with you, man. Like, even where we are now, you're starting to hear and see. And if you listen to some earnings calls, which are widely available to the public, uh, we're pretty much hearing that all the major, major sports books are now starting to focus on profitability rather than actual Funny non- how that works. Just- burning money yeah it is a good question and maybe we can get into it a little bit but the profitability aspect of it when you kind of dig into the math and i can't really go into too much because i know a little bit more than the next guy but like when you dig into the math it it's very confusing how we get to actual profitability in in some of these cases and even what you hear from the DraftKings fanduels of the world where these calls are widely available it costs x amount of dollars to actually acquire a customer there's then the x amount of bonus that's on top of it there that just the initial bonus how is x amount of dollars and then the retention bonuses that are applied to them over a 30 60 90 365 are x percent of this that and the third right so the amount of bonusing and the amount of money that goes into a customer before they even give you a dollar it's a lot now the industry is zero incumbents right there's only the people that are here so we didn't have to like go steal market share from somewhere else it is wide open which is kind of cool you don't see that too often so, like, there's there's positives and negatives to it. But, yeah, profitability is, is very important to these books. And I think retention is the name of the game where, hey, like, we have X customers already in this state. Yes, we want to continue to acquire. But why don't we foster the current ones we have? Why don't we try and develop a relationship? Why don't we try and make sure that we're the book? We are the place they bet with. And rewards programs, I think, are the best, right? I used to work for Caesar. Shout out. So love everyone that I worked with over there. Really appreciate my time there. The one thing that I love about them is they have an actual reports program, right? Like, I think DraftKings might have one, and BetMGM, like, apparently has one. And I know the place that I work at now, Barstool, we're doing something very specific, and I'm very excited when that starts to really get going a little bit more. It's going to be awesome. There is one now, but very excited for the future plans. But nowhere else, like, Caesars has Caesars reports. Like, it is by far and away the best in the industry. How are you guys selling this to not just one book but how are you trying to sell this concept to all the books because if i was one of the books that you're partnering with like i don't want a bet on over here like i I want you to get just retain more customers to me not to all my competitors as well definitely so there's certainly a lot of answers to that but the way that really we work is first of all the data that we have is if a user syncs with us so the sportsbook integrated with us and they sync their account before they're with scrimmage and after, they bet on average daily about three times more. And depending on who you ask, that's a good and bad thing. 1-800-GAMBLER probably doesn't like that, nice. but the sportsbooks do. Um, and it's because we have a gamified element that's fun to the user. They reinvest back into the game. And at the same time, they feel like they're getting a reward out of it. 
So for the sports book, we found that that is consistent across pretty much every sports book. Um, so the, it, it varies, and it's probably just variance, but it's about three times uh, for the major sports books, and that includes FanDuel, DraftKings, Prize Picks, Underdog, so even the DFS ones are getting a similar lift. And to be honest to the to the user, if if you think that your product is good and it's and it's differentiated enough, and people like betting there, then what's going to keep them betting longer is likely a rewards program. And for us, we think that there are interesting ones kind of across the space in terms of very specific to that company. But for us, we are kind of this additional part to your betting process, kind of stripped away from the company exactly, but they still attribute that reward to you. And based on the rewards that the operator gives us, the amount of scrim that users earn changes. So if your you know, rewards are a little bit better, uh, then people will earn more scrim and appreciate that sportsbook more. And to be honest, line shopping is less common than people think. Uh, the amount of sports books people have is less common than people think. When they change, they usually change. They just use a different operator. Um, and because of that, to retain a customer sometimes is as simple as offering them things to keep them active in the game. So we've seen pretty much across the board uh, an uplift from uh, people that sync with us. And it's really as simple as that. I wish people shop lines more often. I don't care how many dollars you bet a dollar, you bet five, you bet ten. Shop your lines. Like first, download all the books because they're giving you free money. <laughs> That's the if you one. if you saw the FanDuel earnings or flutter from last year, eighty six percent I think was the number of their users placed the parlay last year. So there's education out there. There's tons of things that will tell you you know you should do this or that. But I think the secret really is that people don't treat it financially. And everyone wants to make it a financial product, but it just might not be. It just might not be. Probably shouldn't be. Um, we'll, we'll <laughs> that, that part there. I guess explain. So I totally agree with you on the rewards program. It's really awesome and interesting how you're able to explain how, hey, maybe this book gives you a little bit more scrim. So maybe even if the line isn't that much better, if it's comparable enough, you know, we're talking one, minus 145, minus 140. You know the opportunity to gain scrim, or, or you know the, the the token to allow you to play the game a little bit more, and, and we'll get into that in a second. I think is very important. So, what exactly is the game of scrimmage? Like, what what is this avatar? What do you do with them? How does it work? What what do you spend the scrim on? Whether sure. that's cash back or or on the actual game itself? Yeah. So you you find a bunch of different types of users, basically different types of gamers or non gamers. So some users want to just earn scrim. And then they want to go, right now we have Amazon gift cards in lieu of cash. And they want to say, I want an Amazon gift card. Or we have exclusive promos at different betting products like Sharp App or Juice Reel or whatever that are exclusive to scrimmage and some people burn it for that. And then there's a group of users that think of it as like an investment. I think scrim is going to be worth X one day. I want to get as much scrim as possible. So they continue to kind of keep their scrim. There's some users that compete because we have a leaderboard. They say like, I want to be on top of the leaderboard. This is fun. And the way that it works if you reinvest it back in the game is you can you know, burn your scrim for all the things I just described, or you can upgrade the characters that you have. So everyone gets a, it's an NFT if you want it to be, uh, once you sign up for the app, and you, it has three attributes. And those attributes, they basically affect how much scrim you earn in the future. And there's a meta to the game. You know, Upgrading one over the other is actually worse or better. And you could figure out over time which one's better. And then you could see all the other characters that everyone else has that wants to sell it. And we have an in-app marketplace. So you could say, oh, this person's character 
Uh, it does fit my bedding parameters and I think it's underpriced. So I'm gonna actually save up to buy that one and then sell mine at a profit because I think mine is overpriced. And you create this game within a game where you have different users doing things for different reasons and they all feed off of each other into a, a, pretty, cool, um, a pretty cool system that feeds itself. And for the sportsbook, I mean, uh, so the way the rewards the sportsbooks work if they decide to stake it with us is, look, uh, I make you know, X on each user a day in, in profit, so GGR or whatever they, metric they want to use. I want to stake, <clears throat> excuse me, 5% of my profit from people synced with scrimmage. So what we would do is we create a liquidity pool that supports the scrim token. And if a user says, I hate everything about this game, I hate coming on here, I hate my character, that's fine. Click a button that says cash out and you're a rewards program for X Sportsbook. But if you want to play the game, the bet we take on ourselves is if you reinvest it back into the game by doing any of those things that I described, we take that money and the rest goes to the users that want to cash out. So for the Sportsbook, it's the same net amount of money. And the math for them is simple. If retention is high enough to cover those rewards going out, they should do it, right? Because you're increasing the amount of handle you're making per day and uh, it's a zero product to you. Like you don't have to do anything. It's totally over here. And you're only paying for the users that scrimmage retains. So you actively have to be a, a, a user on our app. Uh, so it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, if we don't retain anyone, you don't really get invoiced for anything. If you do, well, then you do and you should be happy about it. So it's a, it's, it's a very simple pitch to all of these sports books. Obviously, people are slower to things than others uh, just because of the bureaucracy of betting uh, and, and kind of the, the incumbent process that you described. But even if they have a rewards program, this is you know, non-compete to something that you already have. It's an extra derivative on your betting. Yeah, and it's for a specific group of people who, you know, you guys have attributed and collected, essentially, to allow to to be a part of this game and, and contribute in, exactly. in that community, which I think is really cool. And uh, you brought up a couple different things, which I think are awesome, right? The, uh, the, the opportunity for sportsbooks to understand, again, hey, you're only, getting, you're only getting charged if we're continuing to drive that revenue, which is exactly what we're looking for as a sportsbook, right? It's cool that you brought in the person. Let's keep them here for a little while. Let's keep them betting. Let's keep them yep. having fun, having a good time, having that entertainment on the side. I think that's the important part. So how? So if you guys are getting this money and you're using the money to help spread around the game and you're hoping that people keep that money in the game because there's going to be other people that just cash out and you have to use that money to give it to those people... I haven't seen any of the money actually go into your pocket yet. And we need you guys to get money in your pocket to keep this thing alive and better and continue to grow. So how exactly do you guys make money in all this? Total bet on ourselves. So we think our, our kind of our thesis on this is say a sportsbook decides that 10% number or whatever it is. And maybe that's $1,000. We are taking the risk that every user immediately cashes out and says, I don't care about anything in this game. I just want my $1,000. And maybe that's spread across X amount of users. Who knows? 100 users. What we're betting is that they will decide in lieu of cash to spend some of that money on us. And whether that be uh, upgrades to your character that are you know, exclusive to you or you want to buy some different type of character within the game, things only that deal with scrimmage of the game. And for the sportsbook, math is the same, like I described. It's still that 10% number. And if your users are still being retained and betting more, who cares if they actually give us all the 1,000, right? Like it, it doesn't matter to you if they're staying retained and betting more. So total bet on ourselves. We don't take a percentage of that money straight up. It is the same for the sportsbook each month and a total bet that we think they'll reinvest it back into the game. 
and when the money is reinvested into the game, that's how you guys actually make. We money. just take it. So let's say of that hundred dollar or of that thousand dollars, they spend a hundred on upgrading their character or on you know buying another one, whatever it may be. That goes to us, and but the amount is still the net the same from the sports book. Uh, so awesome. for, from the better's perspective, you're basically using your rewards for in-game experiences. And for the sports book, it's the same net cost. So whatever you think makes sense. So uh, yeah, very low risk to, uh, to both sides, which is what we thought was important as a startup and to, to get some operators interested. Good stuff, man. And so what are some of the things? I know this the rewards program is a little new um, mm-hmm. com- compared to the last time we spoke. Do you guys have anything else, any other evolutions, anything else that we could talk about? Maybe some of the some of the things down the pipe that will just enhance the opportunities that you have currently and, and obviously in the future? Yeah, so right now, the I think the craziest part about all this is you can't redeem Scram directly for cash, as I described. It's just for like an Amazon gift card, and you know the, the ratio is kind of you know just us supporting it ourselves. And we're still seeing these, these increase in retention numbers and people wanting to play the game enough to bet more. So the evolution is... Um, we're working with working on uh, getting a few operators on board to kind of be the flagship rewards program where they're staking directly, as I just described, and that opens up a ton of opportunities for us. Uh, so we have a quest system built, and uh, whatever operators said to come on, they'll have specific quests to them uh, to keep their users engaged. Which, if they would like to uh, have a say in, they are absolutely allowed to. We built it to be very, very flexible. Um, there's going to be when you say well, I want to say when you say quest, is it like hey, place a futures bet, place a live bet, place a pre exactly. bet? That yeah, kind of stuff? and luckily for us, since we have the data of what you're betting on, we could verify so many things. We could do win five in a row, win three in a row, win three in the NFL. There's a ton of different quests that we could do, and we've made the system extremely flexible to be able to support that. Uh, there's going to be some cosmetic additions uh, to your to your characters that both have abilities and don't. And some of those abilities could be as simple as, um, you know, you get a percentage off different parts of the game if you have this on your character and then people may want to trade for that specifically. Maybe it gets 2x scrim on, maybe we shouldn't do this, but maybe you get 2x scrim on parlays, right? If you have this buff to your character. All different things that we can make within the game to specialize the character and the experience to the type of better you are. Um, and that personalized experience, you can trade in and out of. Maybe you love parlays one day, and then you do listen to a podcast or a YouTube video where it says parlays are bad. And you go, wait, why do I have this parlay character? I'm going to trade this. Put it in the marketplace. Someone buys it. You get scrimmed back, and you can buy a new one, or you can buy someone else's. So it's it's a kind of an evolutionary experience for the better. Uh, you could go along your process and enjoy a new gamified part of it along the way that doesn't make you change the operator that you like betting at, which we think is really important to not only partner with them, but users don't like changing their betting habits, usually forced. So uh, yeah, we're happy to, uh, to to play both sides of it. I love it, man. I think that's really interesting, especially the quest aspect of it to allow kind of the books to say, hey, this is what we're looking for. We understand exactly. you guys can bring us retention. This is the type of retention. And yeah, it's going to be parlays. It's going to be same game parlays. Sorry, Dan. Don't <laughs> didn't mean to burst your bubble there, nope. but can almost guarantee the only thing worse than a parlay for a user. Same game parlay for a user. So, uh, but I, I I place them. I know all this stuff. I still place them because it's fun. fun. That's they're fun. Like, come on. Like, there's the know, secret the of it all, my friend. Tell me, tell me, you didn't have a sweet same game parlay on the Super Bowl. You have to. You're a liar. Yeah, you're a liar if you didn't. You so, um, we still love them. It is what it is. But I think it's awesome, man. I think that's really cool that you guys are able to figure that out uh, so quickly in this process and be able to pivot and bring people the opportunity to just hey, keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. 
But if you sign up, you start to play around, you get to enjoy it a little bit. The opportunities are there for you. So um, talk to me. Where can we download the app? Can, please say Android. Android, iOS, website, all three. Let's go. Uh, we're we're, right, we're good to go everywhere. And uh, yeah. What you was can, that process like? Getting all those uh, getting all those apps. I, I know Apple is oh, a, a awesome process, I heard. Apple, uh, I hope most of your listeners never have to go through this in their lives, but Apple is not a huge fan of Web3 in the way that they can monetize Weird. from it. And the process for us took about two months. And for most apps, I would guess it takes about three or four days. So they put us through the ringer, but uh, we're there. We're we're, we're all across the board. Scrimmage rewards, you could find it anywhere. Just got it. Yep. I was just going to say it's scrimmage rewards. Um, Definitely go check it out. Uh, I saw the Sharp app logo. Shout out my good buddy Jason, um, (laughs) who's running that place. He's awesome. I love it. You could get a, a promo that is exclusive to scrimmage for Sharp app. Right now, that? get enough scrim and you get a, a pretty sweet deal on, uh, I think, a couple month membership there. Well, they, they're kicking ass. Their yeah, prop system find, is I'll like swear. absolutely insane. So awesome yeah, if anybody, yep. give them an extra plug. Um, yeah, go go <laughs> download scrimmage, scrimmage rewards. So that way you can then get the sharp app promotion and, and then you can win a bunch of money and all the books will then appreciate you because they see you betting on props, which is exactly what they want you to do. So exactly Dan, right. this has been absolutely fantastic, man. I sincerely appreciate the thorough fun. explanation of what you guys are doing. Fastest 45 minutes of your life, probably. Um, what you guys are able to do, how you're able to do it, the opportunities that are going to be coming. I, I think it's awesome. And so tell us uh, just one more time, where can we get it? Where can we follow along? Give us all the information. I'll, I'll put everything in the show notes for everyone. Awesome. Yeah. So Twitter at Scrim Sports uh, on Instagram, just put at Scrim and pretty much any sport you want. We have a bunch of different Instagram accounts. Uh, you can find us. Our Discord will be linked in our Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can find us. iOS, Android, website is scrimmage.co. Love it. Good stuff, man. Well, I appreciate it, Dan. Thank you so much for your time. Thank the you audience too. for their time. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So sincerely, I appreciate a little bit of yours. But just make sure, go check the app out. It's free. You're already betting. You might as well get something for betting. Like it, It's just one of those, like, why the hell would you not do it? So kudos and congratulations for you guys coming up with that. But other than that, man, sincerely appreciate it. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, everybody.